This is Everyday Driver, where we know cars are expensive and necessary and have to do a world of things. But we also believe they should be fun. Whatever you need and can't afford, we're here to help you find the right car. We're your car friends, your car therapists, and sometimes the bad influence you need. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. Hello, everybody. We're back, and this is—it's been a weird day already. We've watched some some bad television. We've uh, we've edited an episode. We've talked about plans for the year. We started doing impersonations, which you cannot hear, but they were great. <laughs> yeah. So there's been a lot going on, but we have a really cool podcast coming up for this Good Topic Tuesday. Welcome back, guys. We have Pilgrimage 2023 planned and almost full. So if you've been yeah. thinking about joining us, please go to everydaydriver.com/slash/adventures, where you can find out all the details, the dates. All of the information you need. Mm -hmm. If you have any questions, please email us. We can't come up with the money for you, of course, but we (laughs) want you to come with us because it really is truly a life-changing experience. People who have been with us, Mm -hmm. we have multiple repeat Mm -hmm. visitors, but people have loved coming. So if you've been thinking about it, pilgrimage. We have a good group already. It's actually almost full. So thank you guys for listening and engaging with that. And speaking of that, I have to thank all of you listening. We've been talking about all of our meetups this year. Of course, we we have pilgrimage, which is the European one. We have Utah. Then we have Colorado one coming up in the fall that's not quite open yet. The Utah meetup, which is happening in mid-June, signups opened on Friday morning, and it was full in 15 minutes. I, I'm sharing this because I am still jaw-dropped about it, but thank you guys for that level of interest. I'm astonished. There's a wait list. What happened? Awesome, but thank you. Yes, for sure. Also, our Blip Shift shirt this week is Yang Gang that features the Hyundai Elantra N available on our Everyday Driver partner store at blipshift.com. Order that, and we will be having a series of those. Yep. Thanks to Mandy Combs. She has been wrangling shirts. She has lined <laughs> up a good number of shirts, yes. so keep checking back the partner store to see what might interest you. Support Blip Shift because they do all of our merchandising. All of our shirts only come from there. All the good ones that you like are all there, so you got to go there to get them. And there's... Again, like Paul said, there's new designs coming almost every week. We'll keep you informed. Our topic Tuesday comes to us today from Eddie M., who writes about subscriptions. Mm. At first, Eddie, I took this email to be about subscriptions for cars themselves. But Mm. that's not what you meant. You meant all the features. Oh, yeah. And he says, if you look deeper into the European market, you'll notice this growing trend of manufacturing option subscriptions. It's like that BMW heated seat thing that got all the press here. Yeah. He mentioned Toyota's remote key fob start for $8 a month mm-hmm. or Mercedes charging $100 a month for acceleration mode. In, in case EVs. your electric car, by the way, your electric car, already fast. I don't care which one you got. <laughs> right. But if you would like to go extra super duper fast so you can hit the, the grocery cart in the parking lot even faster, that'll be 100 bucks a month, please. Wipe the super duper and pay yeah. more. Your credit yeah, card yeah. gets charged. You won't even feel a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Neither will you when you hit the wall from too much accelerator. Sorry, true. separate thing. Yeah. Well, Eddie writes, now in Europe, they're already starting to see legislation change and laws being crafted to prevent automakers from doing this. Here in America, the land of let's make a buck and cash is king. Mm. Should be, we, be, we be worried that automakers are soon going to be deploying these subscription plans and maybe doubling the prices of monthly payments. Will this be the new norm? He mm. writes. And when, if it is coming, is this fair and necessary for the manufacturer's survival, or is this simply driven by greed? Keep in mind, he writes, that most cases, the cars are going to be already equipped with those options and just waiting for the payment to be turned on or off. You're right. Well, the subscription thing has lasted for a while. And like I said, Eddie, at first, my my headspace was the car sharing subscription Mm -hmm. features, which... 
I haven't really seen a huge ado- adoption of. Yeah, everybody wanted to, uh, all the manufacturers were like, we're going to do subscriptions and you can get this. And there were other third-party companies that were going to have a fleet of cars and you could pick mm-hmm. from them. But the problem yeah. with all of these is that it was always wildly expensive. Very expensive. And so as you a result, you didn't, get a, you didn't get a bunch of people in there. But, but that always made me wonder, and we're talking car subscriptions now only, the actual vehicles themselves. It always made me wonder that the people that can afford, and it was like between two and 4000 a month for a car subscription in most of the ones that we saw, people that can Lot. afford that much for a car, they're just going to buy a fleet of cars. Yeah. So I don't yeah. think, it's one, I think it's one of the reasons it didn't work. If it had been like an every man affordable thing, maybe it would have been more successful. But that's not what this is. I think what's happened here is that all the automakers have seen the rise of subscriptions in the last 10 years, which Wall Street loves, by the way. They do. Because then you have yeah. you can show charts. There's charts and graphs, folks. It's very exciting about the steady stream of income we're getting from more subscriptions. This is the thing that made Netflix a darling for a while until they realized that cash flow and how you actually make content matters. Crazy things happen there. But the thing about subscriptions is, you used to be able to walk into your local electronic store and walk out with a box of software that you owned. Yeah. That was the version you had until a few years from now when the next version comes out. When's the last time you did that for software? <laughs> that just doesn't happen anymore. No. You pay your little monthly fee, and they'll, they'll push you a little update. And then, of course, Tesla brings it into the car world to the point that Eddie made. He's talking about these cars are equipped this way. This is how Tesla builds cars. And I'm not saying it's not yeah. smart, but they put all the stuff in there. You just didn't know you had rear heated seats because you didn't actually pay for that option. They only built the car one way. Right. Now that you mention it, my entire career at Autodesk followed the rise from box software. Mm-hmm. And if people didn't use it, we called that shelfware. <laughs> <laughs> Shelfware's good. I like that. That's very good. From that point to where we started to making deliveries on CDs, and then it was jump drives, mm-hmm. little thumb drives, yep. and then it was digital downloads, and then now it's truly subscription-based. And yep. I, I saw that entire run within a de- span of a decade Yep, I know. working there. I it remember. was pretty wild. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was cool to see this change, but yes... The good thing was it prevented a lot of piracy, but sure. what salespeople would do was call said company who we knew already was a customer and say, hey, I see you're out of compliance because <laughs> you have an upgrade. You haven't paid your subscription fee. Mm-hmm. So instead of going after them from a legal perspective, they would say, let's get you compliant. Let's go ahead and sell you $2 million worth of software. Out of that compliance. That way you're up to speed now. You know what that reminds me of? (laughs) Out of compliance is such a lawyer-crafted term. Yes, it is. It's like that thing that happens here in Utah when there's a wreck. (laughs) When there's a wreck and stuff has happened, you want the emergency services to show up. You know who shows up? Incident management. They do. There's trucks. The incident management truck will arrive and solve the incident. They will manage it. They have cones and lights. The the incident is managed. This is the same thing. You are currently out of compliance. You're stealing from us, (laughs) but we're going to call it out of compliance. We're going to manage the incident. I'm waiting for incident delegation. Well, I really don't know what to do next, so we got to wait for that truck to show up. As you pointed out, Todd, I mean, telematics have existed for years. GM's OnStar program. Mm -hmm. And Wi-Fi hotspots are another great example. Sure, sure. And Tesla has greatly perpetuated. They haven't really pioneered this practice of building everything into the car, but I mean, kind of. Well, they kind of only make their cars one way. That's they, the they trick. And, and there's economies of scale there because you don't have cars coming down. You know, oh, this one doesn't need the heated seat module and that one does. And this one has this feature, that one. You just put all the features on the car mm-hmm. and then somebody codes it to turn all the ones off that that customer didn't buy. 
But then if they come in later, yeah. you can turn it on. Well, BMW tried to charge people $80 a year to use Apple CarPlay after the free trial ended, which really didn't go over too well. And Mm -hmm. so BMW abandoned that. Yes. I say, like BMW discovered, let the market decide. Mm. Toyota's connected services, Eddie, as you pointed out, that remote start thing in 2018. eh, Do I want to pay more for remote start? Nah, Mm -hmm. I don't think I do. But it's built in. It's it's got the feature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Porsche Connect is Porsche's version, Navigation Plus, Plus, and charging planners that optimize your nav system to maximize your EV range and minimize your stops for charging. A couple of years ago, it was about 12 bucks per, per month. I don't really know what it is because you have to log in and see what's right for you and type in your VIN and... <laughs> You know, what, what package pay. do you yeah, want? Uh-huh. But there's active lane keeping, Porsche InnoDrive, which is enhances your active cruise control depending on if you're in the city or the highway out in mm-hmm. the country. And then there's something called the Finder. The Finder, it, it's the interface for all of these apps. And then, of course, mm-hmm. there's the thing that helps you find your car in a parking lot. You could just actually pay attention to where you park, you know which what I, I know is I parked, hard. I parked right there. You know what you can even do in the modern time? This is, this is really they crazy. They paint the poles with like D12. What's really crazy is if you really have trouble with this, take a photo on your phone. You could. If you, if, if you, don't, if you aren't a person that can walk to your car, and I understand, look, everybody, yeah. everybody I, on this point, everybody's wired differently. I've known people that just parking lots may, may as well be a blank sheet of white paper. They have no idea which direction they are. <laughs> it's like okay? the beginning of a script. But there's, but, there's all, but there's always indicators in the parking lot. And in that case, just take a photo. Anyway, sorry. If you can see where your car is on your app on your phone, that means some overlord can see where your car is oh, on yeah. your app and we're, where we're you all, are. We're all being followed. It, uh, brief other side note. If you're ever worried about being tracked in the modern time. Uh, we're, that, we're past that. It, we're the way ship past has that. sailed around the world if, a few times. If, yes. if you carry a, a, a phone, you're being tracked. <laughs> yes, Anything exactly. you do is being tracked. I don't care if your car could track you or not. Your phone sitting in the glove box or sitting in the cup holder, uh, that's tracking you just fine. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, as you pointed out, Todd, Eddie as well, you're going to pay more for the car whether you use these systems or not because it still costs money Mm -hmm. to install the equipment for these features, the car company. Now, safety systems cannot be in this category. True, true, true. Yeah, You cannot have a safety system expire because you didn't pay your subscription fee. A, they shouldn't be on subscription to begin with. It should just be built in. But Anything safety-related cannot even come close to being in this category. But then there's the full self-driving thing, as we've talked about. I mean, at least we're not dependent on satellites. You know, officer, some space junk flew in front of the beacon, (laughs) and I (laughs) crashed because the beacon was disrupted, the line of sight thing. All of a sudden, the screen blinked, satellite connection lost, and I ran into somebody. Yeah, terrifying. Look, full self-driving is under fire. Five years ago, it was all the rage. It was the thing, the thing that's coming next. It's going to be inherent. And as it turns out, we still need humans. And it's it's quite hard. Really not sorted. Various systems use LiDAR or cameras or Mm -hmm. some sort of combination of both. In the case of Waymo, the Google Maps overlay, Mm -hmm. that's still a a huge system. And that requires a lot of power to run the system Mm -hmm. and also requires a lot of new wiring harnesses. So your cars have gotten heavier. Yep. Yep. Again, whether you subscribe to this or you ever use it, but we're not there with full self-driving. 
True. We are not. We are proven to have been not. <laughs> if you and haven't paid attention, we are officially Tesla, not there. Yeah. Tesla uses us as guinea pigs, us yeah. being the collective we. They're all of their customers. So but the also tester. all the people driving around those cars are also in the testing program, too. Absolutely. To so that, that means way, everybody is yeah, we're in all, we're all the testing yeah. program. So car companies are not a charity organization. They need true, to make money. True, true. They need to innovate to be better than their competitor. That's what drives competition. That's what drives cars to be better. And I'm all for competition. Mm, I'm mm. all for innovation. Absolutely. But I think the market will ultimately decide as to whether this will happen or in, in some cases, like the state of California, some legislation is already being looked at mm-hmm. to prevent it. It's going to vary by state, I think, in the U.S. at oh, this yeah, point. Probably. Want more horsepower for your sports car? Oh, wait. How about off-road mapping in your Jeep? What if that extends to the car's architecture, like mm. full self-driving does right now? Well, we can turn off 4x4 for your Moab adventures. Otherwise, your Jeep is just rear-wheel drive. Yep. So that's great for Hell's Revenge, which is pretty much a freeway with some nice scenery. <laughs> so <laughs> but yeah, I take your you point. Know, have fun yeah, yeah. on Pritchett or Helderado or Lion's Back with your one-wheel drive thingy. Yeah. Good luck with that. We might just remotely deactivate four-wheel drive when we see you on the map just to screw with you. <laughs> I mean, you, 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 you make a great point. I'm kidding, or am I? Thanks for renting with us. <laughs> you make a great point, but because I see both sides of this. On one level, look, if we as consumers were able to buy something that was what we needed and pay extra when we need more features, your, your Jeep point is great. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to buy it in Southern California. I'm going to drive it on the freeway. Yeah. It may as well be front-wheel drive at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you know what? This weekend, I'm going to go off-roading. So I'm, or you know, we're going to take our once-a-year trip to Moab for the Jeep Safari. Yeah. So for that month, for April, we, we do it every year. Or you live in Southern California. Why am I paying for, for heated seats, which were embedded in the car, but I don't care. But you're living in Canada, and you'd, awfully, you'd like to have them. Now, that means the car is more expensive in Canada, which is ridiculous. But I will say this. If we were people who bought only what we needed, and I mean all of us in we, all mm. of us in mm. we. If okay. we were people that bought only what we needed and bought a little bit of extra for the time that we needed it, this would work. But the problem is we, the people, buy pickups because we might haul something one day. We buy sports cars that do 200 miles an hour because we like that it can. We don't even have the Autobot. At least in Germany, we could say, I could go do it. Here, you can't. I yeah. might go do a runway yeah. run once, maybe. I'm going to buy this fantastic GT3 911. I don't even know where there is a racetrack. We don't buy for what we need. And so the problem, that, that is what I see as the biggest issue here. I'll talk about other subscriptions. When you buy software, you're buying software for what you need. When you True. stream TV, you know what? I never watch Disney movies. I don't need Disney Plus. Or you know what? I have kids under five. Disney Plus is the top of the list on the budget. But you can make those decisions because you either get the stuff you need or you don't. Very rarely in most other subscriptions right now do you get more, do you buy more subscription than you need? Or do you take your budget and go, you know what, I'm going to overspend on that in case I need it one day. Well, I see your point. But we do on cars. I just want to watch Drive to Survive. So I'll just log in, (laughs) quick binge it. This is my month for Netflix. Shut off the subscription. Yes. I need to tow a boat. 
this weekend. So mm-hmm. I'm going to subscribe to the self-leveling load suspension in the back that already is installed in my truck. Oh, yeah. It's just it squishy because it's not turned on. <laughs> so I'm going to tow my boat. I'm going to subscribe to tow mode this uh-huh. weekend. Yes. Tow the boat. And then next weekend, I don't need it. Oh, Sunday night, I don't yeah. need it anymore. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to turn that subscription off. I don't need to tow with it anymore. Yeah. So, you know, the payload could be 500 pounds. You know? and, then, and then you don't get... need those springs. But the, they're on my truck. This is not my idea. So that's why... I, don't feel terrible about mentioning, but then you get the people that are going to do the rolling emails because you get a 30 day free heated seats or whatever. So 30 days of free towing. So if I can come up with 12 email addresses, (laughs) I could get my seats for free. That's true. Insane. I think Eddie, it's ultimately going to continue to be explored, but like I said, let the market decide. When you have that moment, you remember a car you're interested in, or you heard us just debate a particular vehicle right here on the podcast. You need a way to search for it. Our friends at Autotempest.com focus their efforts where it's most important, helping you find great cars, local, nationwide, big listings, or little ones. Are you the person all your friends talk to when they're car shopping? The folks at Autotempest rely on word of mouth too, and you'll give your friends the tool they need when you tell them about Autotempest. Autotempest.com slash everyday links you to nationwide listings from Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace, so it enables you to search beyond the limited distances those sites support. So when you're doing your drive homework or you're chasing your next family car or you're just browsing to feed the disease like we do pretty much every day, go to autotempest.com slash everyday so they know we sent you. Autotempest. All the cars, one search. William R. is in Florida. He wants to get out of lame CUVs. Good CUVs he's fine with, apparently. But we'll, we'll circle back, yeah. Well, William enjoys a nice curvy road. He grew up in suburban New York and learned to drive in all seasons with turns. Love it. Amazing. And hills and character. He lives in Florida now, Well, where hills and turns are few and far between. <laughs> True. His previous cars were both manuals. He had a Tiburon and a Scion IM. He loved them both very much. Well, he's now a dad. Congratulations, William. He's got a 2019 Toyota CHR. And then he calls me out and goes, I love this car. He said it was the only CUV with any flair. And he said, I know Todd's not a fan, but it was the only CUV with any flair. And you're right. I, I don't get it. But I, I will acknowledge, I will acknowledge that it has styling that is notice me. And in a world of bland, we get, we get one every week, a bland silver or monochromatic five-seat, <laughs> roughly egg-shaped SUV. You're right. In that world, the CHR stands out. I still don't really get it, but I'm glad you like yours. <laughs> well, William's a dad. Like I mentioned, he only has one child at this point. There's no need to overreact with space. <laughs> Which is what we all car. do. It's what we all do. Well, but you know, what if we, have, what if we find a dog? What if we sub- could subscribe to a longer pickup truck bed uh, where and it goes and suddenly it's this, an eight Paul, foot bed because you're going to hate that this is the reality oh but what gosh. you're talking about is skateboard platform and all the people that were oh doing modular gosh. designs when you were in school and are still doing them to this day and have been yes. doing them for decades where it's we're going to make one platform and you can put the sports car body on it this weekend this is what you drive into your local canoe dealer there you go <laughs> And you put and you pay the subscription uh-huh. to swap it out for the eight or nine passenger body because the grandparents are coming in this weekend and the next week we go back and go back to the Tylenol shaped uh, pickup. Your running shoes are just <laughs> running shoes. Your dress shoes—that's all they do. Mm-hmm. That jacket of, that you wear—it's only one color and it only goes. It's just a jacket. Don't reverse that. There's no reversible. Don't anything. take it up Mount Everest. Don't take it paddleboarding. <laughs> Just go to dinner. My new North Face suit coat. It could be (laughs) bright yellow for visibility or it could be classy black. (laughs) William says 
with his child still in a forward-facing car seat, does he participate? Well, he likes to participate in outdoor hobbies, so without overreacting on space, is the hatch, say, in the new Integra big mm. enough? He likes to bike ride and paddleboard frequently. But would he be better in a WRX? Or is a manual cross-track fun enough to drive? Or is it just a stripped-down base model? Or should I just get a stripped-down base model? Mm-hmm. All-wheel drive is not necessary where he is in Florida. Well, it's not necessary anywhere in Florida. <laughs> yes, this is true. What manual car is out there for a dad who desperately doesn't want another boring CUV? Will the Kona N or the Alpha CUV be fun enough to make him not miss a manual transmission? Mm. And this new car budget is about $40,000 or so. Yeah, he says forty k ish somewhere in there. Well, William, thanks for writing. I really appreciate it. Hobbies like yours can be solved with racks. As a matter of fact, True. the yeah, yeah. Sea Sucker Company is based in Florida, if I'm not mistaken. I love your Acura Integra choice. The Kona N is good. I thought of the GTI. That's also pretty good. But the car that you should look at is a Mini Cooper John Cooper Works. Oh, The okay. one we had was $42,000, I think. Sure, yeah, yeah. Two or 44. 40, I'm going to 42. You can find them for use. I, I saw a 2013 actually for 41. So a brand new one, 42, somewhere in there. Maybe okay. 43. I love the John Cooper Works Mini for you. They're very good. Watch our test drive on it. Yeah, You're a dad. They're, they're interesting. They're engaging. You can put racks on this thing. Yeah. I think it's a great time to drive. And we even had fun on, on the freeway driving this thing. Yeah. So straight lines, yes. Okay. Right. Obviously, you're going to be hunting for corners, but maybe it will inspire you to head north. And find some twisty roads. Well, as somebody that likes the CHR styling, that's standout styling as well, and so is the Mini. Mm-hmm. And I actually really have always liked the Minis. Of course, I obviously owned one. I hadn't thought of that. That's a really good one. You're right. It, you'll be festooning it with various racks. But I mean, yeah. it's it's not a huge SUV. I, I, this is the one reason I have the uh, the trailer hitch rack for bikes. Because I don't want to put a bike on top of an SUV. I don't want to. I don't want to reach up there with a bike. A Mini Cooper is not very tall. You could put your bike on the roof. You could put your yeah. bike on, on a rack on the back. Yeah. There's lots of options. Mini actually is one of those companies that does a lot. I hadn't thought about that. That's a really good one, and it would be crazy fun when you're not hauling anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just hauling the kid. Yes. Mm-hmm. I thought about the two series that BMW 235i or M240i. You could take a look at oh, those. Just rear wheel drive only. Yeah. Manual transmission. But to answer your question, I think. You're ready for a manual transmission, even if you yeah. have it for a year, 18 months, and maybe it just, with traffic or commute, it's just unbearable. I, I feel like I want you to get back in one and, and experience a modern manual transmission, front-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive. I did glance at 997 Cabriolets. Did you really? Okay. I found one with 76,000 miles. It's not a manual. It's a PDK, but they're 449. And that's not going to haul anything. Not going to haul anything. <laughs> it's not going to haul a thing. It'd be racks. Fun. Yeah, but racks. Uh, yeah, racks on your, your, on your convertible 911. That's all kinds of problems right there. I mean, you have to, yeah. <laughs> okay, the boards can stick out the, put the top down. Yes. Boards are sticking out the top. Yes. There you go. There you go. That, Kids this, strapped in. The, the, the LA solve. Got it. Okay. Yes. Okay. All it's right. It's now the Florida solve too. You know what else I think would be good here? Actually, you know what, William? I have to, I have to give you kudos because when you said Integra, I was like, you know what? Integra is really good here. I mean, it really is. It really you is. You asked about the Crosstrek. Here's the thing about the Crosstrek. It is unbelievably capable. It's affordable. It is one of those, it, it's, a, it's a hiking boot in car form. I think you even said that in our review, Paul. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's a hiking boot. Whatever yeah. you would like to do, it's going to get decent gas mileage, give you plenty of space. It has an interior you don't have to be precious about. They run, they, you can get Apple CarPlay, you can get all the things. The Maitre okay? D will look down and say, hiking boots, huh? <laughs> but but I, I wouldn't, here's the thing. I would describe the Crosstrek as a great tool to get you to fun. 
but it isn't <laughs> fun in its own right. <laughs> so if you're wanting fun, I don't think the Crosstrek does it. I do think that compared to the Crosstrek, the Integra is actually an incredibly fun, very sophisticated choice with a huge hatch on it. We don't find it as yeah. fun to drive as the the, uh, the SI or obviously the Type R. But at the same time, I will also compare it to the GTI, which absolutely works here. You mentioned it, Paul. There's nothing wrong with, it, with, yeah. a, with a, a Volkswagen GTI here. I think here, let me put it to you this way. The GTI is more fun than the Crosstrek, and every bit as fun as the Integra. Yeah, true. Then I would say the Civic Si is a little bit more fun than both. Agreed. So you can't get into the Si because it's not a hatchback. I see your Integra. I think that's excellent. There's nothing wrong with that. You could. I have two wild cards for you. I, I do like that Mini. You're you're it's in intriguing. striking distance of a GR Corolla. Can he find one? I mean, 40s, that's the problem. Can he that, find the one? The 40s. Can you find one? And and what is the what is the markup that they want to charge? I mean, all of these I, cars. I hate that we're talking about it that way. I hate but all that of these there's cars, assumptions in markup. Yeah, I, I hate that we're just assuming that it will be uh, as because they shouldn't. And and we will say this because we bought our GR86 this way. There are Toyota dealers who part of their dealer branding is they don't sell above MSRP. Mm-hmm. That's how we got our gear. It was no special treatment. It was just we got it for that. Yeah. So you could possibly find one of those. That is that is a wild card. The other wild card I had for you, I suddenly went. Wait a minute. You've debated SUVs here still with the Kona N and the Alpha CUV. Yeah, true. Why not a manual Cayenne? I just saw one today. I was looking around. I just Spend saw one. Half your budget. Spend half your budget. Uh, it was an 08, and it was a GTS, so it was a little bit more expensive. But you don't have to get a GTS. Well, the pro- the only the only downside is that those are going to be at least a decade back. At least I yeah. think I this think was the second 08. gen. I think the second gen Cayenne. I, I want to. I could be wrong here. I want to say they they did a manual transmission like year one, and that was it. Okay, the, and that's 2011. Of second gen. I think it was just first year, if they even did it at all. I think it was first year. But they made them up through tw- the end of the first gen, which was 2010. Okay. So you can find manuals. And it's 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 either base models or GTS that came in manual, if memory serves. You end up with a surprisingly capable, fun SUV. It's still a hulking SUV, let's be honest. But it has Best a manual. both worlds, though. So if, if you're looking for that kind of thing, it, that's why it's in wildcard territory for me. But I had to put it out there. We want to remind you that one of the first upgrades you should do to your vehicle is better brakes. An upgraded brake system can transform a vehicle's performance and give you better peace of mind behind the wheel in any situation. Track, trail, or traffic, every vehicle deserves performance brakes at an affordable price. No matter what your vehicle is or your driving style, PowerStop has a complete brake upgrade kit for you. Head to PowerStop.com. Fill in your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use brake finder, and you'll be matched with complete kits and components that are low-dust, truly noise-free, and feature upgraded stopping power. We have both experienced firsthand the upgrade quality on our own vehicles. I've got the Z36 truck and tow pads and rotors on my Ford Expedition, and it brakes more powerfully than it ever has. Join the thousands of drivers that have already transformed their vehicle into a stopping powerhouse today. Power Stop. Brake upgrades made easy. Waffleophagus on Twitter says to me in episode 775, I did say out loud, let's let the designers win one. <laughs> you did say that. There's been some, some little bit of pushback on that, but it was fun. For sure. By the way, Waffle is one of the people that is an admin for us on Discord. and He does an awesome job. And, yes, and, and Discord kind of exists because he was like, could we do this, guys? So a huge shout out to him for sure. Well, my statement <laughs> and the way I said it implied that it hadn't happened recently. Mm -hmm. And so Waffle says, isn't the TLX exactly that? Mm. Designers are responsible for packaging. Mm -hmm. 
And because we didn't find the TLX packaged particularly well, and more of just a styling exercise. <laughs> that was put very kindly, yes. The implication is that, to me, is that the designers didn't do their job on the TLX, even though it looks gorgeous. Oh, interesting point. So okay. yes, design and the exterior shape and, well, frankly, any part of the car needs to be pleasing. And that is what I'm referring to. And really, design does win a lot. But mm-hmm. ultimately, designers are at the center of a company in a weird way, even though mm-hmm. nobody really acknowledges that. But they need to please their bosses and, and getting the design brief. The marketing people want something to come up with a cool campaign. And the engineers want to be behind it. And they really want to like that. And do the good job engineering any part in the car mm-hmm. and then the product planners and then, well, the CEOs, they need to be able to go on some news program and say, talk about why the new version is so much better. Here's the new version. Here's yeah, what yeah. we're doing. Yeah, yeah. And get the public excited and here's why and here's our direction and this car sets the direction for us. Then the people in the factory is making it. They want something great to make and they stand behind their products. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of at the center and they have so many people to please what I was referring to more specifically is it's sort of weird when it's just design because yeah, the TLX is gorgeous. It doesn't fit the backseat passengers well at all. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, the designers didn't win. Something else was preventing the designers from packaging everything really well on such a big car that Mm. it doesn't make sense to me. Why is this car so big and the interior so small? Mm. And of all companies, it is Honda that are the masters at extracting more interior space yes. from the yes. exterior packaging. Yeah, they're, they're the be- look at the fit. Nobody can beat them. And, and look at the new Civic Si or the new Civic period. The new Civic is an Accord. You open up the backseat, you're like, well, I got plenty of Correct. space. Let's bring my tall friends. So it's not just this car. It's that that car built by those people is sort of like, I feel like the designers were kind of, trampled on even though it's gorgeous Hmm. but does that mean it's just a styling exercise well that leads us down the road of well the design team you you just put the car in a pretty wrapper you just make a pretty picture around the car and you know hope it sells (laughs) well no designers are responsible for a lot Mm -hmm. so one that i think is a win okay but todd you think it's ugly is the first generation panamera the designers did package the rear seat passengers sure really well. Mm-hmm. That At was one of their mandates. They had footers. to get six footers all around. It's yeah. a four door nine eleven that fits genuinely four people. Mm-hmm. You can climb in the back and be like, yes, anybody could actually be comfortable back here. We're having, you know, what I'm realizing we're we're backing our way into what is designing winning as a topic Tuesday because I'll say this: <laughs> the way the designers didn't win is because they were. You're right; they won on packaging, mm-hmm. but on the other end of the spectrum, they were tied to make our four door look like a. 9-11, which is inexplicable. Just Correct. Make, just make it look great. Correct. And why why weren't they allowed to do that? So it's a, they kind of lost that battle, but they kind of won the interior packaging, but they also met the mandate. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But it also seems like the design team was sort of like, well, fine, you want to fit backseat passengers in a 9-11? <laughs> this is what it has to look like. It kind of has to look like this, <laughs> and okay. people will buy it because it's a Porsche. And that happened. Mm. By the second generation, things have changed. Packaging has changed, and that's affected the exterior styling. Mm-hmm. Now I think it's a good balance. Does the back seat have on the second gen have as much room as the first gen? We'll have to compare numbers. I don't know. But I think there was some encroachment on the headroom. Probably. But what that did was make a prettier shape. Yeah, for sure. On the outside. So when I say win, I mean start to finish packaging. Mm. The designers got to do what they Mm. want. Okay. And sometimes (laughs) designers say, you know, throw caution to the wind and they, well, that just doesn't matter. It's just all about styling. Well, that's not really what good designers do. 
They do everything well. Everything mm, has to be really thought of. Okay. So to, to get to that pinnacle, that's, that's a rare car. Designers are being pushed and pulled, and, and there's always a battle to win. Not every company does this, but there's always some kind of battle to be fought. Hmm. Speaking of design, Ted Adam Green on Facebook, this is like a track daily crush question, but worse. It really is. He said, if we could get any single car we've ever wanted, any car, any car, but the caveat is that it has to be one of two exterior color treatments, either polka dots Oof. or pixels. <laughs> okay. So what I, what I, here's what I imagined here. I, am, I was trying to imagine an actual car. So the E-Type... And I realized something here. Depends on the car. The E-type would have to be polka dots because pixels would look wrong. <laughs> okay, it would. But if you got something more modern and crazy looking like Bagani Waira, then pixels. <laughs> okay. That's, that's weird, but it, it actually comes down to the car. Though I cannot imagine with anything resembling a straight face pulling up anywhere in an E-type that is painted polka dots. I mean, the Austin Powers British flag E-type looks subtle and sophisticated next to a polka dot E-type. I don't even care what the color combo is. That's out there. Anthony Zurg says, what is the most ridiculous thing you've heard someone say about a car? I'm mm. speaking to a family friend once who should have known better. He was showing off his new car, a Toyota Yaris YRS 1.5, a perfectly fine runabout. But he was explaining with much pride the S stood for sport. <laughs> well... <laughs> Car manufacturers also According now to the marketing department. stretch things. Mm. I mean, I'm here's looking at you, Porsche, with Tycon Turbo. You're kind of yes. stretching things. Yes. I mean, not kind of anymore. <laughs> where's the turbo? <laughs> that That's a conversation I almost want to have at a Porsche dealer. Just walk up and be like, where's the turbo? Where's the turbo? Can you point is, to the a, turbo? What is a turbo anyway? <laughs> that's 20 years from now. That's well, terrifying. Uh, yeah. It's... Uh, <laughs> Uses exhaust gas. No, I got to start again. It takes it. Okay, I don't know. I don't know how to explain. Watch a video on how things work. Uh, Well, still, that won't apply anyway. (laughs) Anthony, I think I told this story a while back, but it was a person at a car show. They were younger, talking to their friend, Mm -hmm. looking at a Ferrari. I don't know what the model was. It was a mid-engine. I think it was a 360 Modena or something like that. And back then, Ferrari interiors were, you know, they were okay, but Mm -hmm. it's a sports car. They're kind of sparse. And he was explaining to his buddy how sparse that interior was. And he said, the Mercedes S-Class is way better than this car. This interior sucks. Look how, you know, the seats are, they're thin and there's sure. barely any leather. Of they are. The, the interior in the Mercedes is so much more luxurious. Therefore, the Mercedes is a better car. And half my brain exploded. <laughs> I was like, wait, but that's not the way. Uh, fine. So go to a car show and just... Listen, it doesn't don't be the person long. explaining everything. It doesn't take just long. Just walk around and yeah. soak it in. Just, you know, sidle up to people and just listen to what they think. You will be endlessly entertained. And, but you have to stay silent. You can't you then interject and be the person like, well, let me swing in here with my knowledge and stop that. You can't do that. It's even fun if you kind of play dumb. Like, huh, so this thing, you know, what do you think of this? And they will tell you. I was in line at a counter walk-up business once. <laughs> and there was a family behind me. And I had parked my Lotus, middle of the summertime in Park City, I had parked my Lotus outside. And it happened to be kind of near the business. This is, this is good. And behind me this was parents and their son who was probably late high school, early college. And he spent the entire time standing in line behind me explaining my car to his parents. And everything he said was wrong. Other than it was a Lotus. Other than that, it was limited edition, only a few hundred made. Oh, really? Huge engine. 
like $400,000, incredibly rare. I was like, I feel really good about myself now, but everything you've said is wrong. Did you turn around at all? No, I just, I just. That had to be so entertaining. It was unbelievable to me. I just kind of stood there and lied and was like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to soak it in. While his parents go, just, wow. Just bask. In and then the- I realize I'm going to walk out and get in that car. They're going to be like, oh, my gosh. And I'm going to be like, <laughs> none of that was true. None of it. <laughs> Andrew Owen says, what is our collective opinion on PHEVs, plug-in hybrid electric mm. vehicles? Are they good? Are they bad? Are they not long for this world? It feels like they strike a unique balance between full EV and ICE cars, offering hybrid benefits and EV capability to a limited extent. But he's heard by some, they are disposable stopgap solutions before pure EV models. Mm. Will PHEVs have a future once EV infrastructure gets better, or will they exist as the last holdout of ICE cars alongside conventional hybrids? I feel like we've discussed this, some form of this, Andrew, kind of comes up a lot because PHEVs are on the market so much. I like them. I Mm -hmm. think they're an excellent choice because they give the owner a lot of options. Yes. And it appeals to more styles of driving, or I guess demands of driving. Yes. If you're a commuter, Mm -hmm. you could consider this. And by the way, it's still a real car. You can still take it on a long road trip with no worries. You can use normal infrastructure gas stations if there's nowhere to plug in. The other thing that happens here, Andrew, that uh, that I think is is key, we've talked about this before, people that are doing electric car-only mandates, we're starting to see cracks in the wall already. I don't know if you saw this, but Europe has already declared, like in the last couple days, have already declared that boutique manufacturers that make less than 1,000 cars doesn't apply to them. No kidding. That's just been declared. Didn't see in, that in one. Europe. So, Interesting. so my point is, there's going to be variation. It seemed like this big hard clang of a wall that came down. I don't think that's the case. And I'll I'll go another place. This is the reason I think that Volvo has mm-hmm. talked about how all their cars are going to be electrified by like next year. Electrified is a key word. <laughs> yeah. Okay. PHEV counts. Yes, okay? it does. Yes. And so when, when you have places like California or places in Europe that are talking about we're only going to sell electric vehicles by this time, I think what's really going to happen is this kind of thing. You're going to have electrics in everybody's lineup, but you're going to have cars that are kind of electric. And one of the things is if you want to talk about uses of resources, okay, making car batteries is a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A PHEV has a much smaller battery. So theoretically, you can make more of those and still electrify your whole fleet. And we can talk about we're only selling electrified cars anymore. You can't buy a straight internal combustion engine car anymore. I could see that happening by some of these mandates, but I could see the wiggle room exist. Like, well, it doesn't apply to boutique manufacturers. Mm-hmm. And if, it, if it's a PHEV, then that counts too. Well, I no longer see PHEVs as a middle step in a, we're just kind of making a, a, an interim step mm, mm. before we completely go full steam ahead with EVs. I see it still as a logical solution for many people. Yeah, I think it certainly can work. Absolutely. I, I, I think it's there. And, you know, we're still waiting and, and lots of articles and lots of hope and lots of optimism. There's lots, lots of interest and in engineering and development in longer range batteries. That'll come. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be further out. It's it's in that same category of autonomous driving. It's here tomorrow, baby. <laughs> you just yeah. might as well cut up your driver's license. Well, people write us and say, I'm buying my last gas car, and I'm going because it's going supposedly going to have no more gas cars in 12 years. You know, the, the debate rages on, but I like that car companies are still, most companies at least that I see, their CEOs are still open to, to new technologies and exploring mm-hmm. that, but still understanding that tried and true is just that 
For example, GM investing in a factory only building V8 engines. The mm. factory isn't even built yet as of this recording. <laughs> V8 engines are pretty awesome. They, they're workhorses. They yeah, do a lot. Yeah. They have pickup trucks to sell. Just think, those pickup trucks are going to be around 30 to 50 years, so they need to service and supply parts for mm, those. Good point. Good point, yeah. DC5 Brandon 987. That's hard to get through. Anyway, he said he's tempted to buy a car like this. He's referring to our GR86. It's posted it on one of our pieces that we've done because we just sold that car and it just left the fleet, officially left the fleet. Now, luckily, it stayed in the Salt Lake area, so we have access to it for shoots we may be doing this year. But it just left the fleet. I want to talk about this a little bit. He said, can we tell our the viewers what it cost us after we sold or what we made on it? Or, and how much did we get back? What did we do? Can he, he wants more understanding about that. I want to talk about this a little bit real quickly. When we bought that car a year ago, we kind of looked at each other and went gulp because we had done, as you may have noticed, we've been doing annual car swaps mm-hmm. for long-term things. We did our, our <laughs> ridiculous old sedans. We did our uh, cheap sports cars. And then we did the 86 simultaneous to the cars of the past. So Mm -hmm. we keep doing these one-year things, okay? But it was Paul's great idea that we should get a GR86 and cover it, which I know you know we got a little bit GR86 heavy as a result because, of course, we had the car here. But we loved it. We we loved it literally two days ago when we sold it, we loved it. We still think it's a great car. But in order to move on as a channel and do other things, budget matters. Yes. So the outgo every month for that car – is now going to go toward a different car or cars, I cannot tell you yet, that we will be covering this year. So that's what's going on. But the truth is, we did not get it for a markup. We got it at MSRP. We did not sell it for a markup either. We could have gone, I'm sure, out to the wide world and done a cars and bids or whatever, and we could have just collected extra cash, which you would think if it's just a money thing, where we need money for the show, we could have done that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. we wanted to have a legit... Uh, transaction just like it had been dealt with us. So we sold it for about what we got it for. We also included all the extras, tires, wheels, brakes, all the other stuff that we spent money on or got over the course of the calendar year, all that stuff went with it. So it's kind of a wash for us. But thankfully, as a YouTube car we featured, we made a little bit of money off of that as well. So we think it's a good idea. But uh, you could have gone nuts, I'm sure, and probably done a bid thing. We didn't want to do that. Yeah. Didn't want to do that for sure. Mr. McGillicuddy on Twitter says in the last couple of years, there've been what it feels like a large influx of new cars and trucks that have been thrown onto the market. A lot have been hindered by the supply chain. They would not hit typical production goals. Will this affect the standard development life cycle? As far as life cycles or just development goes for cars and trucks, that has been sped up significantly by the advent of VR and tech in the design and engineering industry. Just in the years we've done this show, it has accelerated. Yes. I was uh, with Autodesk in 2017. I was part of the tail end, well, my tail end of my career there, at the very beginning of what has now become, not quite, but almost the ability to re-sculpt digital surfaces Mm. in VR. You can currently do VR design reviews, so if you're in remote locations, executives and design managers and thought leaders can view the same data set and make decisions very quickly without doing the the travel thing around the world. It takes a lot of time to make a final decision. They've got the tools in VR to be able to do sectioning, slicing, do pointing Mm. with things. And the way surfacing is going is to be able to sculpt 
in VR, especially with polygons. I mean, polygons, are, of course, in, mm-hmm. in video games are yeah, yeah. quick and easy way to build anything. And so polygons are becoming really the norm uh, over NURB surfaces, which are the it's the digital data of the of the surface from which tooling can be built and mm-hmm. made. So that has significantly sped up development times and the way traditional car companies work and develop shapes. So what that means is they can iterate more quickly. Mm-hmm. But now, with the way technology is moving for any future EV project, they know that this is what we want to do. The uh, Cadillac Lyric and Chevy Blazer, the EV versions of those are a great example because they're the same underpinnings. But now they want to iterate quickly various designs to meet a market so they can generate shapes very quickly and determine, yes, this is where we want to go. And then with some of the same tooling, yeah, we can do those. Ideally, you don't see the the different parts. Uh, what we were told by Cadillac is that Lyric is bespoke to Cadillac. There is no part sharing from any other brand in that vehicle, which we applaud. That's excellent. But that's a choice because the only way they could do that is they saved money or else they're amortizing the cost of that somehow. It'll be in the blazer and many other things, but yeah. But they're, they're saving yep. money somewhere else in the design process to be able to choose to do custom built parts just for that vehicle. So what that's done for your question, yeah, there's, they've been hindered by the supply chain. So car companies are completely refiguring their, their headspace about their production goals. But I'm not saying that's just going to mean less vehicles more quickly, but in a, in a small way, yes. I mean, for example, you want to get the tooling out of building pickup trucks. Yeah. You want to just... They're going to make a couple. <laughs> make a lot of those. <laughs> but for companies like BMW who build not bespoke or, you know, small production runs, but Mm kind of in some cases, that's why also they have done controversial styling on some of those because Mm. they know they don't have to sell a lot to recoup their costs. And the development costs and time was pretty low. It's pretty fast to get that done. So they're still not losing money and there's fresher vehicles. I, I think we're going to see an eventual payoff here with, fresher designs sooner mm-hmm. and then the refreshes of those new designs more quickly. Steve Wiley on Facebook says, is it the car or is it the road? He said he had an NC Miata and he drove it down to twisted sisters in Texas, but he drove it down from Dallas. He had this Miata in Dallas and he realized very quickly that there was nowhere in Dallas to drive the Miata that was worth a Miata that was fun enough for a Miata. Mm. So he sold the Miata and he happened to buy a Ridgeline because he just needed it for stuff of life and that became his new car. But when he happened to drive it down near those same roads in the Texas Hill Country, this is west of Austin now, we actually go through there on our south trip, he said he actually drove the Twisted Sisters Road and realized that while it wasn't nearly as fun as the Miata, he had a great time hooning the ridgeline down those same fun roads. So he's saying, hang on, this ridgeline feels like it was more fun to drive in general than the Miata, even though the Miata was more fun on the good road. What's going on here? I'll tell you this, Steve. This is honestly the big thing I hope comes out of the big road trip films we've been doing is that you guys will do road trips in whatever you have. Yeah. Now, we're taking yes. sports cars. I, I couldn't encourage you more to have a sports car, to drive daily, to drive on a fun road, to all of those things. However, whatever it is you drive daily, if you take that on an amazing road, we've covered many of them, you will have a great time on an amazing road and a car that's not ideal for it. Great roads, when they, when they have a flow and they have great scenery and you can feel the, the car move, if it's a car that you're used to and you enjoy, 
it doesn't matter if it's a sports car. You'll still enjoy yourself. I believe you'd enjoy yourself more in a dedicated sports car. But we've had people come on Utah Meetup every year in the wrong car, and they still have a blast. Yes. So I think sure. the road is paramount. The car is, I hate to say secondary, but the car does make a difference. EverydayDriver.com slash adventures for all your road tripping needs. <laughs> we have road trips. Come, come check We're it out. We're slinging them over here. <laughs> yep. We are, definitely. And the South Trip, we still have the final cars of the past. Yep, a couple weeks away. Yep. All right, so a couple weeks, we're still looking at that? Yeah, right it's going to be early March. It may move a week, but it's going to still be early March. That trip is coming. That, it's going to be fun. A bit of a, it's a bit of a monster edit, but I'm enjoying it. Awesome. Glad to hear. Guys, thank you so much for all your questions. Write to us, TV at gmail.com for all your car conclusions, your Topic Tuesdays, and most of all, yes, your car debates. We're looking forward to next time. As always, cheers, everyone.